Section 89 of The Book of Household Management. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Book of Household Management by Isabella Beaton. Dinners and Dining. Chapter 40, Part 1. 1879. Man, it has been said, is a dining animal. Creatures of the inferior races eat and drink. Man only dines. It has also been said that he is a cooking animal. But some races eat food without cooking it. A Croat captain said to Monsieur Briat Savarin, When in campaign we feel hungry, we knock over the first animal we find, cut off a steak, powder it with salt, put it under the saddle, gallop over it for half a mile, and then eat it. Huntsmen in Dauphiny, when out shooting, have been known to kill a bird, pluck it, salt and pepper it, and cook it by carrying it some time in their caps. It is equally true that some races of men do not dine any more than the tiger or the vulture. It is not a dinner at which sits the aboriginal Australian, who gnaws his bone half bare and then flings it behind to his squaw. And the native of Terra de Fuego does not dine when he gets his morsel of red clay. Dining is the privilege of civilization. The rank which a people occupy in the grand scale may be measured by their way of taking their meals, as well as by their way of treating their women. The nation which knows how to dine has learned the leading lesson of progress. It implies both the will and the skill to reduce to order, and surround with idealisms and graces, the more material conditions of human existence, and wherever that will and that skill exist, life cannot be wholly ignoble. Dinner, being the grand solid meal of the day, is a matter of considerable importance, and a well-served table is a striking index of human ingenuity and resource. Their table, says Lord Byron, in describing a dinner-party given by Lord and Lady Amanda Villo at Norman Abbey, their table was a board to tempt even ghosts to pass the sticks for more substantial feasts. I will not dwell upon ragouts or roasts, albeit all human history attests that happiness for man, the hungry sinner, since Eve ate apples, much depends on dinner. And then he goes on to observe upon the curious complexity of the results produced by human cleverness and application, catering for the modifications which occur in civilized life, one of the simplest of the primal instincts. The mind is lost in mighty contemplation of intellect expended on two courses, and indigestion's grand multiplication requires arithmetic beyond my forces. Who would suppose, from Adam's simple ration, that cookery could have called forth such resources as form a science and a nomenclature from out the commonest demands of nature? And we may well say, who, indeed, would suppose it? The gulf between the Croat, with a stake under his saddle, and Alexis Sawyer getting up a great dinner at the Reform Club, or even Thackeray's Mrs. Raymond Gray giving a little dinner to Mr. Snob, with one of those famous roly-poly puddings of hers, what a gulf it is! That Adam's ration, however, was simple, is a matter on which we have contrary judgments given by the poets. When Raphael paid that memorable visit to Paradise, which we are expressly told by Milton he did exactly at dinner-time, Eve seems to have prepared a little dinner, not wholly destitute of complexity, and to have added ice-creams and perfumes. Nothing can be clearer than the testimony of the poet on these points. 
and Eve within, due at her home prepared for dinner savoury fruits, of taste to please true appetite, and not disrelish thirst of nectarous draughts between. With dispatchful looks in haste, she turns, on hospitable thoughts intent, what choice to choose for delicacy best, what order so contrived as not to mix tastes not well joined, inelegant, but bring taste after taste, upheld with kindliest change. She tempers dulcet creams, then strews the ground with rose and odours. It may be observed, in passing, that the poets, though they have more to say about wine than solid food, because the former more directly stimulates the intellect and the feelings, do not flinch from the subject of eating and drinking. There is infinite zest in the above passage from Milton, and even more in the famous description of a dainty supper given by Keats in his Eve of St. Agnes. Could Queen Mab herself desire to sit down to anything nicer, both as to its appointments and serving, and as to its quality, than the collation served by Porphyro in the lady's bedroom while she slept? There by the bedside, where the faded moon made a dim silver twilight, soft he set a table, and, half-anguished, threw thereo'er a cloth of woven crimson gold and jet. While he from forth the closet brought a heap of candied apple, quince and plum and gourd, with jellies smoother than the creamy curd, and loosened syrups tinct with cinnamon, manna and dates in argosy transferred from fez, and spiced dainties every one from silken samarkand to cedared to Lebanon. But Tennyson has ventured beyond dates and quinces and syrups, which may be thought easy to be brought in by a poet. In his idyll of Audley Court, he gives a most appetizing description of a pasty at a picnic. There, on a slope of orchard, Francis laid a damask napkin wrought with horse and hound, brought out a dusky loaf that smelt of home, and, half cut down, a pasty costly maid, where quail and pigeon, lark and leveret, lay like fossils of the rock, with golden yolks embedded and enjellied. We gladly quote passages like these to show how eating and drinking may be surrounded with poetical associations, and how man, using his privilege to turn any and every repast into a feast of reason, with a warm and plentiful flow of soul, may really count it as not the least of his legitimate prides, that he is a dining animal. It has been said, indeed, that great men, in general, are great diners. This, however, can scarcely be true of any great men but men of action, and, in that case, it would simply imply that persons of vigorous constitution, who work hard, eat heartily, for, of course, a life of action requires a vigorous constitution, even though there may be much illness, as in such cases as William the Third, and our brave General Napier. Of men of thought, it can scarcely be true that they eat so much in a general way, though even they eat more than they are apt to suppose they do. For, as Mr. Lewis observes, nerve tissue is very expensive. Leaving great men of all kinds, however, to get their own dinners, let us, who are not great, look after ours. Dine we must, and we may as well dine elegantly as well as wholesomely. There are plenty of elegant dinners in modern days, and they were not wanting in ancient times. It is well known that the dinner-party, or symposium, was a not unimportant and not unpoetical feature in the life of the sociable, talkative, tasteful Greek. 
Douglas Gerald said that such is the British humour for dining and giving of dinners, that if London were to be destroyed by an earthquake, the Londoners would meet at a public dinner to consider the subject. The Greeks, too, were great diners. Their social and religious polity gave them many chances of being merry and making others merry on good eating and drinking. Any public or even domestic sacrifice to one of the gods was sure to be followed by a dinner party, the remains of the slaughtered offering being served up on the occasion as a pious pièce de résistance, and as the different gods, goddesses and demigods, worshipped by the community in general, or by individuals, were very numerous indeed, and some very religious people never let a day pass without offering up something or other, the dinner-parties were countless. A birthday, too, was an excuse for a dinner, a birthday, that is, of any person long dead and buried, as well as of a living person, being a member of the family, or otherwise esteemed. Dinners were, of course, eaten on all occasions of public rejoicing. Then, among the young people, subscription dinners, very much after the manner of modern times, were always being got up, only that they would be eaten not at an hotel, but probably at the house of one of the hetai. A Greek dinner-party was a handsome, well-regulated affair. The guests came in elegantly dressed and crowned with flowers. The slave, approaching each person as he entered, took off his sandals and washed his feet. During the repast the guests reclined on couches with pillows, among and along which were set small tables. After the solid meal came the symposium proper, a scene of music, merriment, and dancing, the two latter being supplied chiefly by young girls. There was a chairman, or a symposiarch, appointed by the company to regulate the drinking, and it was his duty to mix the wine in the mighty bowl. From this bowl the attendants ladled the liquor into goblets, and, with the goblets, went round and round the tables, filling the cups of the guests. The elegance with which a dinner is served is a matter which depends, of course, partly upon the means, but still more upon the taste of the master and mistress of the house. It may be observed, in general, that there should always be flowers on the table, and as they form no item of expense, there is no reason why they should not be employed every day. The variety in the dishes which furnish forth a modern dinner-table does not necessarily imply anything unwholesome or anything capricious food that is not well relished cannot be well digested and the appetite of the overworked man of business or statesman or of any dweller in towns whose occupations are exciting and exhausting is jaded and requires stimulation men and women who are in rude health and who have plenty of air and exercise eat the simplest food with relish and consequently digest it well but those conditions are out of the reach of many men they must suit their mode of dining to their mode of living if they cannot choose the latter. It is in serving up food that it is at once appetizing and wholesome that the skill of the modern housewife is severely tasked, and she has scarcely a more important duty to fulfill. It is, in fact, her particular vocation, in virtue of which she may be said to hold the health of the family, and of the friends of the family, in her hands from day to day. It has been said that the destiny of nations depends on the manner in which they are fed, and a great gastronomist exclaims, "'Tell me what kind of food you eat, and I will tell you what kind of man you are.' The same writer has some sentences of the same kind, which are rather hyperbolical, but worth quoting. "'The pleasures of the table belong to all ages, to all conditions, to all countries, and to all eras. They mingle with all other pleasures, and remain, at last, to console us for their departure. The discovery of a new dish, 
confers more happiness upon humanity than the discovery of a new star. The gastronomist, from whom we have already quoted, has some aphorisms and short directions in relation to dinner-parties which are well deserving of notice. Let the number of your guests never exceed twelve, so that the conversation may be general. Footnote. We have seen this varied by saying that the number should never exceed that of the muses, or fall below that of the graces. End footnote. Let the temperature of the dining-room be about sixty-eight degrees Fahrenheit. Let the dishes be few in number in the first course, but proportionally good. The order of food is from the most substantial to the lightest. The order of drinking wine is from the mildest to the most foamy and most perfumed. To invite a person to your house is to take charge of his happiness so long as he is beneath your roof. The mistress of the house should always be certain that the coffee be excellent, whilst the master should be answerable for the quality of his wines and liqueurs. Bills of fare, January. Dinner for eighteen persons. First course. Mock turtle soup, removed by cot's head and shoulders. Stewed eels, vase of flowers, red mullet. Clear oxtail soup, removed by fried flooded soles. Entrees. Riz de veau aux tomates, ragout of lobster, vase of flowers, cotelettes de porc à la Robert, poulet à la marengo. Second course. Roast turkey, pigeon pie, boiled turkey and celery sauce, vase of flowers, boiled ham, tongue garnished, saddle of mutton. Third course. Charlotte à la Parisienne, pheasants removed by plum pudding, apricot jam tartlets, jelly, cream, vase of flowers, cream, jelly, snipes removed by pomme à la condé. We have given above the plan of placing the various dishes of the first course, entrees, second course, and third course. Following this will be found bills of fare for smaller parties, and it will be readily seen, by studying the above arrangement of dishes, how to place a less number for the more limited company. Several menus for dinners à la Russe are also included in the present chapter. Dinner for twelve persons, January. First course, carrot soup à la Crécy. Oxtail soup, turbot and lobster sauce, fried smelts with Dutch sauce, entrees, mutton cutlets with soubise sauce, sweetbreads, oyster patties, fillets of rabbits. Second course, roast turkey, stewed rump of beef à la jardinière, boiled ham garnished with Brussels sprouts, boiled chickens and celery sauce. Third course, roast hare, teal, eggs à la neige, Volovant of preserved fruit, one jelly, one cream, potatoes à la maître d'hôtel, grilled mushrooms, desserts and ices. Dinner for ten persons, January. First course, soup à la reine, whitings au gratin, crimped cotton oyster sauce, entrees, tendrons de veau, curried fowl and boiled rice. Second course, Turkey, stuffed with chestnuts and chestnut sauce. Boiled leg of mutton, English fashion, with caper sauce and mashed turnips. Third course, woodcocks or partridges. Widgeon, charlotte à la vanille, cabinet pudding, orange jelly, blancmange, artichoke bottoms, macaroni with parmesan cheese, dessert and ices. 
Dinner for eight persons, January. First course, mulligatawny soup, broil and shrimp sauce, fried whitings. Entrees, fricasseed chicken, pork cutlets with tomato sauce. Second course, haunch of mutton, boiled turkey and celery sauce, boiled tongue, garnished with Brussels sprouts. Third course, roast pheasants, meringue à la crème, compote of apples, orange jelly, cheesecakes, souffle of rice, dessert and ices. Dinner for six persons, January. 1. First course, julienne soup, sole de la Normandie, entrée, sweetbreads with sauce piquante, mutton cutlets with mashed potatoes. Second course, haunch of venison, boiled fowls and bacon, garnished with Brussels sprouts. Third course, plum pudding, custards in glasses, apple tart, fondue à la brie savarin, dessert. Dinner for six persons, January, two. First course, vermicelli soup, fried slices of codfish and anchovy sauce, dondori. Entrees, stewed rump steak à la jardinière risole, oyster patties. Second course, leg of mutton, curried rabbit and boiled rice. Third course, partridges, apple fritters, tartlets of greengage jam, orange jelly, plum pudding. Dessert. Dinner for six persons, January, three. First course, pea soup, baked haddock, soles à la crème, entrees, mutton cutlets and tomato sauce, fricasseed rabbit. Second course, roast pork and apple sauce, breast of veal, rolled and stuffed, vegetables. Third course, jerked hare, whipped cream, blancmange, mince pies, cabinet pudding. Dinner for six persons, January, four. First course, Palestine soup, fried smelts, stewed eels. Entrees, ragout of lobster, broad mushrooms, volovant of chicken. Second course, sirloin of beef, boiled fowls and celery sauce, tongue garnished with Brussels sprouts. Third course, wild ducks, charlotte aux pommes, cheesecakes, transparent jelly inlaid with brandy cherries, Blamange, Nestle Road Pudding. Plain family dinners for January. Sunday. 1. Boiled herbert and oyster sauce, potatoes. 2. Roast leg or griskin of pork, apple sauce, broccoli, potatoes. 3. Cabinet pudding and damson tart made with preserved damsons. Monday. 1. The remains of turbot warmed in oyster sauce, potatoes. 2. Cold pork, stewed steak. 3. Open jam tart, which should have been made with the pieces of paste left from the damson tart, baked arrowroot pudding. Tuesday. 1. Boiled neck of mutton, carrots, mashed turnips, suet dumplings, caper sauce. The broth should be served first, and a little rice or pearl barley should be boiled with it, along with the meat. 2. Rolled jam pudding. Wednesday. 1. Roast rolled ribs of beef greens, potatoes, and horseradish sauce. 2. Bread and butter pudding, cheesecakes. Thursday. 1. Vegetable soup. The bones from the ribs of beef should be boiled down with this soup. Cold beef, mashed potatoes. 2. Pheasants, gravy, bread sauce. 3. Macaroni. Friday. 1. Fried whitings or soles. 2. 
boiled rabbit and onion sauce, minced beef, potatoes. 3. Currant dumplings. Saturday. 1. Rump steak pudding or pie, greens and potatoes. 2. Baked custard pudding and stewed apples. Sunday. 1. Codfish and oyster sauce, potatoes. 2. Joint of roast mutton, either leg, haunch or saddle. Broccoli and potatoes, red currant jelly. 3. Apple tart and custards, cheese. Monday. 1. The remains of codfish picked from the bone and warmed through in the oyster sauce. If there is no sauce left, order a few oysters and make a little fresh, and do not let the fish boil or it will be watery. 2. Curried rabbit, with boiled rice served separately, cold mutton, mashed potatoes. 3. Somersetshire dumplings with wine sauce. Tuesday. 1. Boiled fowls, parsley and butter, bacon garnished with Brussels sprouts, minced or hashed mutton. 2. Baroness pudding. Wednesday. 1. The remains of the fowls cut up into joints and fricasseed, joint of roast pork and apple sauce, and, if liked, sage and onion, served on a dish by itself, turnips and potatoes. 2. Lemon pudding, either baked or boiled. Thursday. 1. Cold pork and jugged hare, red currant jelly, mashed potatoes. 2. Apple pudding. Friday. 1. Boiled beef, either the aged bone or the silver side of the round. Carrots, turnips, suet dumplings, and potatoes. If there is a marrow bone, serve the marrow on toast at the same time. 2. Rice snowballs. Saturday. 1. Pea soup made from liquor in which beef was boiled. Cold beef, mashed potatoes. 2. Baked batter fruit pudding. February. Dinner for 18 persons. First course. Hare soup removed by turbot and oyster sauce. Fried eels, vase of flowers, fried whitings. Oyster soup removed by crimped cot a la maître d'hôtel. Entrées. Lark pudding. Lobster patties, vase of flowers, filet de perdrix. Fricasseed chicken. Second course. Braised capon. Boiled ham, garnished. Roast fowls garnished with watercresses, vase of flowers, boiled fowls and white sauce, pâté chaud, haunch of mutton. Third course. Ducklings removed by ice pudding. Meringues, coffee cream, cheesecakes. Orange jelly, vase of flowers, clear jelly. Victoria sandwiches, blancmange, gâteau de pomme. Partridges removed by cabinet pudding. Dessert and ices. Dinner for twelve persons, February. First course, soup à la reine. Clear gravy soup, brill and lobster sauce, fried smelts. Entrées, lobster risole, beef pellets. Pork cutlets à la soubise, grilled mushrooms. Second course, braised turkey, haunch of mutton, boiled capon and oysters, tongue garnished with tufts of broccoli, vegetables and salads. Third course, wild ducks, plovers, orange jelly, clear jelly, charlotte russe, nesselrode pudding, gâteau de riz, sea kale, maids of honour, dessert and ices. Dinner for ten persons, February. First course, Palestine soup, John Dory with Dutch sauce, red mullet with sauce Genoese, entrees, sweetbread cutlets with poivrade sauce, fowl au bechamel. Second course, roast saddle of mutton, boiled capon and oysters, boiled tongue garnished with Brussels sprouts. Third course, 
guinea-fowls, ducklings, pain de rhubarb, orange jelly, strawberry cream, cheesecakes, almond pudding, fig pudding, dessert and ices. Dinner for eight persons, February. First course, mock turtle soup, filet of turbot a la creme, fried filleted soles and anchovy sauce, entrees, larded fillets of rabbits, tendons de veau with puree of tomatoes. Second course, stewed rump of beef a la jardinière, roast fowls, boiled ham. Third course, roast pigeons or larks, rhubarb tartlets, meringues, clear jelly, cream, ice pudding, souffle, dessert and ices. Dinner for six persons, February. 1. First course, rice soup, red mullet with Genoese sauce, fried smelts, entrees, fowl pudding, sweetbreads. Second course, roast turkey and sausages, boiled leg of pork, peace pudding. Third course, lemon jelly, charlotte à la vanille, maids of honor, plum pudding, removed by ice pudding, dessert. Dinner for six persons, February, 2. First course, spring soup, boiled turbot and lobster sauce, entrees, fricasseed rabbit, oyster patties. Second course, boiled round of beef and marrow bones, roast fowls garnished with watercresses and rolled bacon, vegetables. Third course, marrow pudding, cheesecakes, tartlets of greengage jam, lemon cream, rhubarb tart, dessert. Dinner for six persons, February 3. First course, vermicelli soup, fried whitings, stewed eels. Entrees, poulet à la marengo, breast of veal stuffed and rolled. Second course, roast leg of pork and apple sauce, boiled capon and oysters, tongue garnished with tufts of broccoli. Third course, wild ducks, lobster salad, charlotte aux pommes, pain de rhubarb, vanilla cream, orange jelly. Dessert. Dinner for six persons, February 4. First course, oxtail soup, cot à la crème, fried soles. Entrees, lark pudding, fowl scallops. Second course, roast leg of mutton, boiled turkey and celery sauce, pigeon pie, small ham, boiled and garnished, vegetables. Third course, game unliked, tartlets of raspberry jam, volovant of rhubarb, Swiss cream, cabinet pudding, broccoli and sea kale. Dessert. Plain family dinners for February. Sunday. 1. Oxtail soup. 2. Roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, broccoli and potatoes. 3. Plum pudding, apple tart, cheese. Monday. 1. Fried soles, plain melted butter and potatoes. 2. Cold roast beef, mashed potatoes. 3. The remains of plum pudding cut in slices, warmed and served with sifted sugar sprinkled over it cheese. Tuesday. 1. The remains of oxtail soup from Sunday. 2. Pork cutlets with tomato sauce, hashed beef. 3. Boiled jam pudding, cheese. Wednesday. 1. Boiled haddock and plain melted butter. 2. Rump steak pudding, potatoes, greens. 3. Arrowroot, blancmange, garnished with jam. Thursday. 1. Boiled leg of pork, greens, potatoes, peas pudding. 2. Apple fritters, sweet macaroni. Friday. 1. Pea soup made with liquor that the pork was boiled in. 2. Cold pork, mashed potatoes. 3. Baked rice pudding. Saturday. 1. 
broiled herrings and mustard sauce, two, haricot mutton, three, macaroni, either served as a sweet pudding or with cheese. Sunday, one, carrot soup, two, boiled leg of mutton and caper sauce, mashed turnips, roast fowls and bacon, three, damson tart made with bottled fruit, ratafia pudding. Monday, one, the remainder of fowl curried and served with rice, rum steaks and oyster sauce, cold mutton. 2. Rolled jam pudding. Tuesday. 1. Vegetable soup made with liquor that the mutton was boiled in on Sunday. 2. Roast sirloin of beef, Yorkshire pudding, broccoli and potatoes. 3. Cheese. Wednesday. 1. Fried soles, melts of butter. 2. Cold beef and mashed potatoes. If there is any cold boiled mutton left, cut it into neat slices and warm it in a little caper sauce. 3. Apple tart. Thursday. 1. Boiled rabbit and onion sauce, stewed beef and vegetables, made with the remains of cold beef and bones. 2. Macaroni. Friday. 1. Roast leg of pork, sage and onions and apple sauce, greens and potatoes. 2. Spinach and poached eggs instead of pudding, cheese and watercresses. Saturday. 1. Rum steak and kidney pudding, cold pork and mashed potatoes. 2. Baked rice pudding. End of section 89